Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday so far, ready for the weekend. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about on the podcast today. I'm going to be getting into the announcement and the news in regards to a new writer for the Star Wars film, which just had Damon Lindelof and another writer leave the project. So we're going to get into that. I'm also going to be getting into the weekend preview and more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about on the podcast today is to kind of give my little review and thoughts of yesterday's episode of Star Wars is the Mandalorian, which was season three, episode four of the show. And again, this is going to be a non-spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, don't know a lot of the details, don't worry. This is going to be not giving away any of the details that go on in the episode. So to get into it, This was chapter 20 of the overall story of The Mandalorian, which was titled The Foundling. And I haven't really given my reviews or my thoughts really on the last couple of episodes of The Mandalorian. And I think overall so far in season three, I've really enjoyed it. I know some people might be a little bit more on the fence of this season, and it might not be kind of giving some fans what they wanted from the first two seasons. But overall, I'm really enjoying the continued adventures of Din and Grogu, but also I'm really loving the expansion and, and the kind of the, the dive deeping or deep dive rather into the culture of Mandalore, which we really haven't really kind of focused on since really the first season. We kind of teased it a little bit here and there, but and then it kind of became the the show Grogu and Din and their journey and their relationship over the last really season, season and a half, including a couple of episodes from the Book of Boba Fett. So to kind of shift the focus back to that has been kind of really exciting. I love seeing the continued journey of Bo-Katan and seeing more of her after getting only a few episodes here and there in season two and a few moments that were really cool, but to really kind of dive in, see her relationship with other factions of the Mandalorian, seeing her relationship with Din and Grogu evolve as well has been amazing to see. And there have been some great twists and turns that have kind of happened over the last couple of episodes, but just to focus on chapter 20, which is episode four, I think this just continues my enjoyment of the season. I didn't love it or hate it anymore than I've enjoyed the rest of the season so far. Again, it just continues to do what I've loved about it, which is, again, dive deeper into the world of Mandalore, and we really get to focus on the Mandalorians more so in this episode, and I think all that has been amazing. I love the direction that Carl Weathers has been doing in this season, or rather with this episode, and really his direction in every episode that he's directed for The Mandalorian so far. He's only done this one, and he did, I believe it was also episode four of season two last year, and that was a really fun, enjoying enjoying episode that happened as well. So he's somebody who I really like whenever he's around to direct. He does a great job, and he, did, he, did, he delivered some great moments, but also some great action sequences as well. I thought kind of continuing what he delivered in episode four of season two, it really kind of, you could see in each of these directors so far that when they keep doing these episodes, the improvement and the confidence in each of their of their, of their their moments, of their episodes, when they get time to shine, they really do deliver. And I'm excited to see if he comes back for another season of The Mandalorian to direct. I would love to see that as well. But to see him kind of get some time to shine and play around as a creative and a filmmaker in this world is exciting to see. And I think between his direction, but also 
the work of John Favreau, Dave Filoni, who are showrunners on the show, but specifically wrote this episode and the script for it, I think you could see the confidence in where they're going with Grogu. And I'm not going to give anything away of, of Grogu's journey in this episode, but really in this one and in the last few installments of season three, you really see the confidence that they have where they're not relying on Grogu and Din, although those are still great moments. You're not just relying on Grogu being with Din all the time. You're starting to see him have his own journey, and I think it's the confidence that they know how popular the character is, that people love him, and I think that they have the the technology down where it's this, it, it's this complex puppet to maneuver and hearing kind of behind the scenes of how many people it takes to actually operate that creature, and then of course adding in some of the VFX moments as well, you really see that they are bolstered over the last couple of years and the success of this show, that they can have Grogu stand on his own and you're going to enjoy him just as much as he is when he's with Din, or even when Din's alone, you, you like Din's journey without Grogu, like they work together exceptionally well, but they also work really well together by themselves, and so I think this episode that really stuck out to me the most, that really leaving Grogu to be on his own and seeing his own journey, where he's come from, where he's going to go, I think it's just been great to see. And I'm excited to see potentially more of that stuff where we're just seeing Grogu go on his journey as well. So I really enjoy that kind of stuff as well. And also something of note, and I don't know if it's just because I'm used to it now or if it's really something that I've noticed that have happened, that has happened really specifically in this season so far, but of course, The Mandalorian is notoriously known for its shorter run times. It, you're lucky if you get an episode that goes 45 minutes. I mean, last week's episode was 58 minutes, and I felt like I was watching an episode of Andor, Obi-Wan, or Game of Thrones. What I really think Star Wars needs to kind of do is have those longer run times, but Mandalorian, I've grown accustomed to it pretty much being 30, 35 minutes, maybe 40 minutes at most. And you, you get a fun journey in each of the episodes that we go on. But really, over the last couple of weeks, I've really kind of noticed that with the shorter episodes, it's paced incredibly well, where it is a shorter episode, but it actually, because of the content that is packed into the 25, 30, 35 plus minutes, it feels like it's a longer episode because of everything that they put in that episode. And, and specifically watching episode four, I felt like, man, this is, I felt like this was going on for 40, 45 minutes. And in reality, only 20 minutes went by. So I just think they do a nice job of pacing it well, where it's not dragging on, but you're enjoying what you're watching. They're packing in so much in there that it's worth your time. And I think they do a really good job of, again, focusing on everyone's journey, focusing on these different factions and, and these cultures. But bringing it all back together. And I know some people might say, well, these episodes have felt like kind of side missions or they're not focusing on the main story. But I would say, and again, I've, I've felt this when watching episodes that are weekly, but then kind of going back and thinking about the whole story of binging it again, when you look back on each of these episodes, I feel like they're always building something or building towards something, whether that's actual story points or whether it's actual character moments and really kind of reflecting on journeys that they've been through and where they're going. I feel like this episode definitely did that. We're sure maybe the actual story elements aren't moving anybody forward, but I think we did a great job of continuing to expand and push forward on certain journeys in this episode. And I think it's going to come into heavy play in the back half 
of this season of Mandalorian, which is crazy to say we're, we're in the back half because episode four, there's eight episodes. We're already halfway through season three already, which is kind of crazy, but that's just the name of the game when it comes to TV and specifically when it comes to these high, kind of high-profile television shows. But overall, I've really enjoyed what I've been seeing from Mandalorian so far. really enjoyed this episode. There were some great surprises in here that I think fans in the moment might be like, okay, but then when you think about it, it's it's great for Star Wars. It's a great story that kind of goes into the surprises that happened this week, and I think a lot of people, specifically Star Wars fans, will really enjoy what John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Carl Weathers do in episode four, chapter 20, The Foundling. But again, overall, it's consistent so far. I really am enjoying the season overall and where it's going and where I think it's going to lead to. And I think for some of these episodes, it doesn't seem like they're revealing so much, but I think they're setting up a really good back half of season three. And also, I think, continue to expand on this bigger universe that is kind of the Filoni Favreau verse of their own sect of Star Wars with the Soka and Skeleton Crew and all these different shows that they're kind of handling to telling this potential big event that's coming down the pipeline. I think some of this stuff is setting for that as well. So overall, really enjoyed it and excited for next week with episode five. What did you guys think about season three, episode four of The Mandalorian? Let me know what you thought down below in the comment section of these posts and let me know your thoughts. Again, non-spoiler thoughts of season three, episode four of the Mandalorian. Now to move on from the galaxy far, far away for a little bit and moving into the realm of movie news and specifically are the trending trailer corner of the Sam Bissell podcast. One specific trailer that comes to mind that I want to talk about right now, and that is the final trailer for one of the big films coming out in the month of April, and that is the Universal Monster film Renfield, which is directed by Chris McKay, and it stars Nicholas Holt as the title character and Nicolas Cage as the one and only Count Dracula. And when 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 I've when I've been watching these trailers, I've been enjoying what I've been seeing so far, but these trailers haven't really piqued my interest. And so going into this new trailer, I'm like, okay, maybe they'll dive into a little bit more of what the story is and what to expect from this film. And it's definitely the better trailer out of everything for me at least, that this movie has shown so far and what the marketing has shown for me. But it's still a film where I'm kind of going in and hoping for a better outcome than what the marketing has done for me. I'm hoping that it's more of a of an M marketing campaign for me and then really being surprised by how good the actual film is. That's what my fingers are crossing for right now. But, I mean, I really like the action in the trailer. Some of the comedy is good. Seeing Nicolas Cage's Dracula is really interesting. I think this, this trailer dives deeper into the kind of toxic relationship element and angle that they're going for in this film so that part of it gets me really intrigued and again the action looks really interesting but again i'm hoping for this to be more of a oh wow these trailers did not service the film whatsoever so i'm hoping for that to be the the case when it comes to to renfield but when looking at this film and looking at the month of april this could be kind of a surprise surprise underdog hit for Universal. It's a film that, again, isn't on a lot of people's minds, but if they play the cards the right way, if the reviews are good, I think this could be a film that people kind of go into, and you have the element of Nicolas Cage 
Dracula, that the reviews are good. This could be a little bit of a surprise hit for the studio before the summer movie season kind of rolls around because you have the Super Mario Brothers movie coming out in the beginning of the month, specifically April 5th, which is going to kind of consume the month of April and, and keeping everyone satisfied until Guardians of the Galaxy rolls around in the beginning of May. But I think a film like Renfield could kind of be one of those, oh, I didn't expect that to do so well. And again, find a sect of fans and a, and a sect of a demographic that will want to see it and kind of quell that hunger for big content after kind of getting that over the last month or so with all these major films coming out between John Wick, Creed, Scream, Shazam, Dungeons & Dragons next weekend. So it's going to be exciting to see if this film can maybe do surprise some people a little bit when it comes out on April 14th. But for me, again, the trailers haven't been all that great, but I'm hoping again for it to be film is really good and the marketing just wasn't formidable for me at this particular moment in time. But I'm expecting it to be very gory considering that in the Green Band trailers, they kind of pull away from any of the, the action stuff that happens. But I'm hopefully it's something that is actually really, really good when it actually is time for it to shine on April 14th of this year. What did you guys think about the Renfeld trailer? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And now to move back into a galaxy far, far away and get into the news in regards to this mysterious Star Wars film that has kind of been the talk of the town for multiple months now. And at the beginning of this week, it kind of got a new wrinkle in its journey when it was announced that the writer and its kind of quasi showrunner slash also writer main creator in this in this film and Damon Lindelof exited the film after submitting in their kind of treatment script for the film in February and then reportedly they left a couple of days later and along in that report earlier this week it was announced that there is already a writer in place an unidentified writer in those initial reports that is working on the film right now the director of the film who directed a few episodes of Miss Marvel is also still in play and is still in this in line to make this film right now and is in is is in line to direct it when the apparently the 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 production is set to begin in February of next year so right now the director of that film is still in place right now so we'll see if that still stays the same, and the name of the director is Charmaine Obeid Shinoy, who was against some of the episodes of Miss Marvel she helmed. And so we'll see where it goes. But now, according to new reports, we do have the identity of the writer, and apparently the writer is Stephen Knight. No, it is not Stephen D. Knight, the writer of things such as Daredevil and creators of things such as Pacific Rim, but Stephen Knight. And if you've heard that name before, his claim to fame right now and what he's done for the industry lately is create the hit Netflix show Peaky Blinders with Cillian Murphy, Tom Hardy. It was a huge hit over the last couple of years. I never watched it, but I knew friends that really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun with it. So he is somebody who kind of dives deeper into the realm of dramas and not necessarily kind of science fiction elements in his resume like someone like a Damon Lindelof has when talking about Lost or Watchmen or even The Leftovers, which deal in kind of the supernatural sci-fi elements, which is very much what Star Wars is dealing with. But as of right now, Stephen Knight is taking over as the writer. It is still rumored to be announced that the film itself is to be announced as Star Wars Celebration because really, even though a lot of people have an idea of this film, it's all been through the trades. Lucasfilm, Star Wars, Disney, no one has commented on the actual development of this film. It's all been through reports 
and insider information when it comes to the trades reporting on this news. And so the big question kind of comes into it, and, and I pose this when I recorded earlier in the week and when I talked about this specific topic in Damon Lindelof leaving the the movie and whoever the writer is, how different is that person's taken to be with what Damon Lindelof and his writers did. And getting someone like Stephen Knight, again, when you look at Damon Lindelof and Knight, two very different styles, projects that they work on, is this film going to be what Damon Lindelof created? Is is Stephen Knight just coming in and, and reworking some things here and there? Or is it basically going to be that Damon Lindelof and his crew did very much basically a first treatment of the story and how Stephen Knight is coming in and kind of reworking it, adding newer elements that maybe Lucasfilm didn't want and want now in the script that Steve Knight is going to be able to kind of come in and handle. And I'm going to be very curious about that because what's also interesting about this is, again, Stephen Knight did not choose Shemaine to be the, the director. And that was very much, it seems like, a Damon Lindelof hire and is how is this going to work? Are they going to be able to kind of come together and say, well, this is what we had in this script, this is what we had in this initial script passing, and kind of work together on that level? So to me, this is very much a film that, again, I said it before and I'll say it again, I still think this is going to be a film, and the first film specifically, that is going to come out for that December 2025 release date to be the first Star Wars film since The Rise of Skywalker in December of 2019. But... Again, I said it before, never say never with, with this. This has just been a a wild, wild, crazy ride. And it is just never ending with Lucasfilm, especially in the Star Wars front of just nonstop writer after writer after creator after director leaving when you already kind of are hyping up the base. And again, this isn't them saying this film is happening, but if if... If you come out and say that this film is happening on Star Wars Celebration, are you gun-ho just to make it happen to make it happen because you need a Star Wars film? Or is there a legit story that you want to see happen? Because Damon Lindoff even said at South by Southwest, which has kind of picked up steam ever since it was announced or it was reported that he was leaving the project, was that he just didn't feel like the script was going well and that he didn't feel like the story was coming along at a good pace. And if that's the case... Is this film being rushed? Is Star Wars and Lucasfilm more hell-bent on the film making a release date than actually coming out and telling a good story? And I think right now, it's just Star Wars is so afraid of their own shadow when it comes to the film division that I don't know what they want. And who knows if Kathleen Kennedy is going to be around to see it because I do think and believe some of the rumors that have been going around that she could very well leave and step down and move on to kind of producing films again and not be the head of Lucasfilm once Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny coming out, giving her kind of one last big, big send-off where this this Indiana Jones film could be a big hit and she leaves with it on a high note, rides off into the sunset, and she doesn't have to deal with Star Wars anymore. But whoever does come in potentially... Who are they going to go along with this film? Are they going to want to rework their own kind of ideas for what they want the movies to be? So there's just a lot of turmoil. Again, at least on the on the film side of things, again, on TV, they're rolling right now to varying degrees, whether they're commercial hits like A Mandalorian or even an Obi-Wan or to more critical hits like an Andor. They still are kind of rolling out really good stuff and then some of their up-and-coming stuff that they have coming out again. Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, The Acolyte I'm really excited about, Season 2 of Andor, more Mando, 
and this kind of Filoni Favreau-verse that they have going on right now with different shows. That all has me excited, but I do want to go back and see Star Wars on the big screen, but it's amazing to see one division of Star Wars do very well for itself right now, and they're kind of thriving. And then another sect of Star Wars, which is in basically complete disarray. They're in they're in panic mode all the time, and you don't know when to trust them to actually do something. It's come to a point where... You don't even want to hear an announcement. You'd rather see a photo posted of a clapboard saying production is beginning on so-and-so film at this point. Or you'd rather see a trailer basically instead saying this movie is actually happening. It's coming out on this date and here's the footage for that film. I think fans are at that point when it comes to Star Wars movies at least. And so we'll see where this goes. But I think Steve Knight is a really good writer. Again, no, just from seeing the success of Peaky Blinders, it seems like the guy knows how to write. And it very much kind of reminds me of getting somebody like a Tony Gilroy onto Star Wars a little bit, where he's not very much a sci-fi guy or a big blockbuster guy, but he knows how to write, write great material and create great material. And that's what Tony Gilroy has been with Andor and Rogue One. And, I, and I'm very interested to see, again, this element of two kind of different writers going about this film, how that's going to kind of come together in this one movie with the director that they have attached who is more so in line with what Damon Lindelof's thinking probably is than what Stephen Knight. So I'm very curious to see really how this all kind of comes together, and I hope it comes together so we actually get this film up and running and see what it's actually all about. Because we know it's been a lot of rumors about this is Lindelof's film. This is this is a film that's going to be taking place post Rise of Skywalker. Including it could include some of the characters that remains in the sequel trilogy, like Ray, or it could be something else entirely. It could be something entirely new and different in the sequel post sequel trilogy realm. We don't know what the story is for this one, and I think that's half the battle of not knowing exactly what this film is about. So we'll see where this goes from here, but. I think there's going to be some more developments coming about this, and we haven't heard the end of this new Star Wars film, and the now tumultuous journey that it is in right now after losing a writer and then gaining another writer at right now with Stephen Knight. What do you guys think about Stephen Knight coming in for this potentially new Star Wars film? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the podcast today is something that I like to do whenever I get a chance to do it, especially towards the end of the week. And that is, of course, the weekend preview. And we got a lot of really good films coming out this weekend. And of course, the big one that I'm sure everyone is going to be racing to theaters to go see, of course, is the highly anticipated fourth installment in the John Wick franchise, John Wick Chapter 4, which sees the return of not just Keanu Reeves in the, the full-on tux as the assassin that everyone loves, but you also have Lauren Fishburne returning. You have the great Ian McShane. You have the late, great Lance Reddick, who unfortunately passed away last week. As he was promoting this film due to an undisclosed illness or an undisclosed death, and it's sad to see him go, and hopefully his family's doing well, but we'll get to see him at least one last time on the big screen in a role that he's so good in over the last three films. And you have new people coming in, like Donnie Yen, you have Bill Skarsgård as well. So this is very much a film that a lot of people are excited to see. And what's very interesting about this one is that it is coming in at a runtime of a little under three hours. Specifically, it's at a runtime of two hours and 49 minutes, the longest runtime of any of the John Wick films, times two really, 
And right now it has a great Rotten Tomato score right now of 95% for the critics. I've been I've been hearing great things about this film left and right. Right now the box office tracking for this film domestically is around $70 million. And that would be a franchise record if it was able to hit those marks. And the great thing about the John Wick franchise is basically, and financially this is what studios always want to see, is that every single one of the installments has gotten incrementally better and better and better. Not just within the quality and the scale of them, but the the, the box office wise, each one there seems to be a growing, growing fan base. And I have always said this about John Wick, and I'll say it again, it is one of the most unprecedented franchises of all time. And I've already seen books written about this, how it not just reinvented kind of the action genre, but how it kind of reinvented stunt working. And it really brought a limelight to to, to stunt choreographers and stunt teams and direct and stuntmen turned directors, specifically in Chad Stahelski and David Leach, who was the director on the first film and then kind of went on to, to kind of do his own projects while Stahelski has very much stayed within the realm of the John Wick franchise. And now they have a spinoff coming out, and I believe next year, the year after, with Ana de Armas called Ballerina. So this has very much become its own universe, and it's a universe that if you were to tell me back in 2014, if when the first one came out, oh, this is going to be a film that is going to spin off a franchise, and you're going to see multiple ones, multiple films. There's going to be spinoff movies and and merchandise and all this stuff, re relabeling kind of fights as kind of gung fu and all this stuff. I would have said you're out of your mind. But this is where we are right now, and John Wick is one of those franchises that is very much in demand. Fans love what they what comes with the territory. Then it seems like every single time, kind of like the Mission Impossible franchise, or even uh, kind of like Fast and Furious a little bit, they always reinvent the wheel when it comes to action. They're always doing new and inventive ways, and it seems like with Chapter 4, they just keep on doing that on a bigger scale than any of the other John Wick. So this is one that I'm really excited to see. It's been one of my most anticipated for the month of March, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they're able to do in this franchise Moving forward, and this is my number 10 highly most anticipated film of 2023 right now. So I've been very much looking forward to this movie. I'm excited to see where they go with the franchise, whether they do more films with Keanu Reeves or not. This has just been an incredible, incredible franchise. And also it's kind of been a kind of a rebirth, rebirth really for Keanu Reeves and kind of this big action, lovable actor that just everyone wants to be in, in films and it's been great to see Keanu take on a role like this and be as 100% dedicated as he is. He just seems like one of the best kind of down-to-earth guys to be with. And just everyone lauds and raves about his worth ethic on screen. And he's one of those kind of guys where you know his name, but it's just really, really down-to-earth. And so I'm excited to see more of these films. And I'm excited to see this film. I'm going to, going to try to see it tonight. So I'm going to try to have my review up either tomorrow or Saturday. So that'll be on the podcast for you guys to look out to look out for for the next couple of of days. So what do you guys think about the John Wick chapter 4 reviews? Are you excited to go see it? Let me know what you think. And then the final thing that I'm kind of looking forward to in this weekend and for what you should maybe go check out this weekend if you're not looking for a big action film, you've already seen Scream or Shazam or Creed 3 and you're looking for something more dramatic to go see this weekend, well, there's a film coming out and kind of limited theaters this weekend and expanding 
to more theaters next weekend, March 31st. And that is the latest from writer-director Zach Braff, who, of course, a lot of people know as an actor, specifically for the TV show that he was a part of in Scrubs. And that, of course, is his next outing as a filmmaker in A Good Person, which he wrote and direct. And it stars Florence Pugh, Morgan Freeman, and Molly Shannon. And this is a, a movie that I've kind of targeted for a little bit to, to see. I actually, full disclosure, I know somebody that actually worked on the project, and I've been kind of hearing about it for a while, so it's kind of gotten me excited about it. So I'll be going out to see this film just to support him and his work that he did on the film. But this is one that I, I've been circling just by myself for a little bit because, A, I'm a huge Florence Pugh fan overall. She's one of my favorite actresses working today. So whatever she's in, I will seek out and go see no matter what, even if it turns to be be the biggest pile of dog poo in the world, she probably will still turn in a great performance. And I think that is what we're going to be seeing for her in this. Not to say that her person is going to be dog poo, but we're going to see a great performance from Florence Pugh in this movie. And it seems like she's outstanding in this. To see her work with Morgan Freeman is great. Molly Shannon is somebody who is just a firecracker, and she is great in everything she's in as well. And I also love the fact that for Zach Braff, be what you may, say what you want about his directorial debut years ago with Garden State. He's a Jersey guy, and I'm a Jersey guy, and I will always rep my Jersey people no matter what. And I think for him to kind of take see this take place in New Jersey a little bit, showcase the Garden State a little bit more, is something that I'll always respect and I'll always love for people to do. And I'm excited to see where this film goes, and it's dealing with addiction and tragedy and trauma. And so I'm hoping for this to be a really good film and deliver some waterworks, tears, which are the same thing, some maybe some laughs, some heartache, but I'm hoping for for something in this film that I'm going to be really, really looking forward to as well. So a lot of great films to go see this weekend. Again, you have the previous stuff from the last couple of weeks, but for this weekend, if you want to go see something in theaters, you of course have the big one in John Wick Chapter 4, but if you're looking for something a little bit smaller, wanting to support kind of mid-budget level indie films, definitely go and check out A Good Person this weekend as well. So that is the weekend preview. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, make sure to check out, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Act Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening. <laughs>